0: Welcome to the Idol Book Club. This month we discuss The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon.
1: Welcome to the Idle Book Club for the month of February 2013. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vaneman, And I'm Jake Rodkin. This month we read The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. Uh, this is a book that we decided to read uh, somewhat arbitrarily. Um, Pynchon is an author that is frequently discussed and that a lot of, at least in my case, a lot of authors that I really love often mention uh, Often praise, um, but I'd never read anything about it. I don't think anyone. Yeah, none of us read no. Yeah, it seemed, no like, seemed like kind of a hole in our, I don't know, literary awareness, I guess. And this, as I say, kind of arbitrarily, we decided to jump seen. in. Let's with read it. Crime, yeah. Law yeah, yeah. Um, so this book, I guess, to to sum it up, uh, which is hard to do with this book, but it's it's essentially a, the tale of a woman, Edipa Moss, who. Uh, is na- surprisingly named the executor of the of her, like, of will ex- of, yeah, of her former, now, yeah, late former boyfriend who basically owned the entirety of this fictional Southern California town, San Narciso. Um, and in her – as she goes – as she travels down to that city to try and actually start this legal process, she gets – she maybe or maybe not – uncovers like a weird secret society. uh, A secret postal service. A strange (laughs) renegade postal service, yeah. That that uh, that apparently has exists almost as this entire underbelly of America. Um, And it's it remains unclear how much of that uh is is it's real like, and how much of it is her is it real is it in her brain yeah it, it's it also postulated it?
2: that it's a weird potential that like, she's in the game but it's like a, yeah. a, a prank yeah. almost played on her by being named the executor of this guy's will that he's set up this whole right. system right. yeah and so he's,
0: he's pitched a sort of a peculiar guy who would call her in the middle of the night even though she was married to her now husband mucho mas uh and he would she he would call her and give in like like speak in voices and like do play as weird fictional characters and stuff yeah Yeah. there's a peculiar x but apparently they had a decent friendship i guess afterwards it was hard to kind of say i couldn't ever take the temperature on what their friendship was and
1: yeah. so i guess before we get too much farther um do we want to just quickly give our impressions of this i like this a lot sean i know you struggled with it at first i don't know where you ended up i'll tell you where i ended up i ended up I did not like reading this book. Yeah, I
0: did not like the act of reading it. Right, right. I l- really liked what I was left with, though. Yeah, okay, sure. Like, uh, I'm kind of, I'm going to burn through all my like my material, the things I wanted to talk about, probably really fast, and talking about whether um, my impressions of, of whether I like the book or not. Mm-hmm. It, I got the same feeling reading it that I got watching Rosemary's Baby. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I I (laughs) got a whole thing. I got a whole thing. That's
1: fine. Go for it.
0: I really like the feeling because you're with Adipa the whole time. Like you never leave her, her awareness bubble. Right, Right. And again, God, I can talk at length about the things I didn't like about this book and we will, but because you're with her, you feel her going, thinking she might be going crazy. Right. You feel her teasing out almost like she's compelled she has this 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 unexplained compulsion to keep teasing out what the essence of this renegade postal service known as waste um
1: which i think is explicitly it's explicitly stated by at least one character you're it's pronounced w-a-s-t-e, W-A-S-T-E. <laughs> yeah yeah, one
2: yeah. Point where she walks up and she's trying to be all clever it's like so yeah i heard about this from the waste drop-off station and the guy just goes just, pff, pff, rolls eyes. like oh <laughs> yeah uh, i mean <laughs> the w-a-s whatever shut up her
0: and then when she breaks down at the end of the book uh and she walks into this room full of men
1: it during, just sort of. During, the actual, crying of during lot the actual
0: crying of Lot 49, crying being the selling of, yeah. like the auctioning the of this yeah. lot of stamps that may or may not have been a part of this service. Yeah. Um, it just sort of brought into really sharp focus for me, and Pynchon saved it for me. Uh, the, uh, the nature of all the things I've been feeling with Oedipus. All these relationships and all these interactions that she has with men. Man after man after man after man. She so rarely interacts with a woman in this story. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was like profound. And how small she starts to feel and how tired and bedraggled she is going from San Narciso to the Bay Area back down and just teasing out these yeah, things. It
1: becomes her entire life. She's She becomes completely in the thrall of this. Part. Right, yeah.
0: And I was she feels being like she's being manipulated by the world of the novel. Like she's being, and I feel like it's definitely a commentary. It's definitely supposed to make you like, it's a comment on a woman in modern America. It's a comment on this sort of like the agency or lack thereof that she feels that she has in all of these interactions that she has with these men. She always knows less. She's always struggling to get like to, to be part of this thing or at least know what's real and so much of that that is how i felt watching rosemary's baby mm-hmm. when you're watching her go through this it's a really interesting comparison. like she's with child right but she can't get
1: anyone to take her seriously she can't
0: get anyone yeah. to take her seriously and she ha- she believes she's with the devil's child <laughs> she right. was basically impregnated by by satan and everybody thinks she's nuts and they keep saying oh you're nuts and you're nuts and she's being manipulated by this system and it rosemary's baby goes a different way at the end in our case it goes a very explicit way at the end yeah like oh book. no this is definitely <laughs> the yeah. devil's baby spoiler um but
1: yeah whereas this, this she book went, resolutely does not exactly
0: which but i took the same sort of like like as a man reading the book the same it was a, like i i left a more like empathetic person i think I left the book with something I sure. left with a feeling and I left with sort of a sorrow and I left with sort of a a curiosity about this. I felt like I had a different experience as a different person. And that's kind of what you have to ask from, from fiction sometimes yeah. most times, um, especially when you're reading something like this. So ultimately I was really happy with what I left the book with, but like just, we can talk about it later, but getting through the book was difficult for me, sure. even though it's like 187 pages. Yeah, it's, it's, small like, book. it's tiny.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Jake, what do you think? I don't entirely know. I mean, the act of, I think Unsurprisingly, I kind of feel like I ended up landing between the two of you guys with this. My experience reading this book was almost with every page. There was a voice in the back of my head asking myself, "Do you like what this is? Are you enjoying this at all?" And the answer was always a very small yes. But that got more, I got more and more acclimated to the book as I went along, and then by the end, I was like, "Okay, this was I really enjoyed."
0: this. When she was wandering through San Francisco, finding all the little
2: like signs, all the little signatures, Wait. I was like, "Oh, Jake, Jake's digging this." All of that <laughs> stuff when it, when, when it just fully indulged that weird straight mystery of tailing the, the people through the Bay area. Like the right. when she follows the courier essentially, not the courier,
0: but the at guy, the, the postman, point, you know. I,
2: I liked all that stuff for it just being a weird mystery thing. But at the same time, there was a voice in my head that was like, you should not be enjoying this on such a literal level. You son of a bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> you better be appreciating this postmodern, whatever, Had she been blah, blah. Sapped and then woken up like, like it, yeah, but just, I mean, the entire, I've, I've personally never read a book whose language. <laughs> <Period>. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this is the final Idol Book Club. I've I've I haven't read a book, uh, a piece of fiction written in this style before, and I mean it. Just from the get go, it's really funny coming to this out of The Great Gatsby, which is like oh sure. yeah Jesus. terse, 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 and now this is just like well, this sentence could be a page. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the entire the entire experience just from moment 1 felt really flowy and floaty to me so her becoming disconnected was it wasn't hard to grasp but i also it it took me a while to fully understand sort of what the point of what i was reading was which i I'm, I'm sure is kind of deliberate because this entire book was a really liquid experience for me but yeah. um as, as I went in more and more, I enjoyed it I mean, more. I
1: think a lot of that is, is to put you in uh, Sean kind of touched on this a bit, but I, I think of a lot of it is that forcible disconnection to mirror her state of mind. Yep. You know, oh, I, yeah, I, for sure. Um, I felt, I probably, I felt, I guess probably a little less, um, at sea with it just because other authors that I really love, like David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. I, I could feel the influence. I could f- you know, I've only read this by Pynchon, so I'm not. I cannot oh, yeah, speak to yeah, yeah. other things. But uh, even just having read this, it became clear to me a lot of this just straight linguistic tricks. I mean, some of which I think are probably in the service of of that of that larger theme, and some of which I think are just stylistically what this kind of school of writing is about. Yeah. Um, but the you know the really really overtly absurd stuff. You know, the naming of characters like Mike Fallopian and Doctor Hilarious and this and that. I um you know that that is something that. You know, we haven't we haven't read stuff like that on the Animal Book Club before, right? Um, so, so, but I I, I, I
2: honestly, for me, the experience of this was similar to eating a new piece of food for the first time and taking sure. a couple bites and going, ugh, and then by the end of it, acclimating yourself, just yeah, knowing that a week yeah. from now I'm actually probably going to be hungry for that food that I hated when I first right, ate right, it, right? Uh, for sure, yeah. Which, and I, I
1: mean, I, you know, this is this is a facile observation, but I mean this schools of writing like this always remind me of, I mean, um, kind of overtly stylistically, uh, attention grabbing prose like this mm-hmm. reminds me often. I studied music in college and it, it often reminds me of, um, 20th century concert music where, um, uh, important figures in that world, like Benjamin Britten, would come out and overtly declare, um, like we need to retreat from the kind of the mainstream and, and break from, the traditional uh modes of musicality you know i mean the, uh it's where you get things like schoenberg's 12 tone scale and weird things that don't sound like what we think of western music as sounding like and that's that's always the kind of stuff i think of when i when i read something more postmodern like this where you feel like the author is deliberately trying to dispense with assumptions about clean terse prose and and, and, yep. and, and you know and, and directly and and even just really basic things like names that just map right. to what people would actually be called in the world i mean it's there i don't know i kind of appreciate the treating the text as an actual text rather than a um just retelling of like a plausible realistic scenario that yep. that you could just translate into mm-hmm. into life um i, I this is this is a really i poorly made observation that i just made but um, what's funny well the thing is like just
0: touching on because I like, I haven't read Infinite Jest, and um, I haven't read Room of the System or his other. What is another? The Pale King. The, the Pale King. Was, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, the yeah. posthumous novel yeah. or posthumous fiction. But I've read a bunch of. I've read a bunch of uh, Foster Wallace's essays, mm-hmm. and there were aspects. That's where I saw a lot of the connection. But I saw like a lot of the stylistic connection and sort of the. I don't. know, I'm probably not really well equipped to describe the techniques that are going on in um, Wallace's work and Pynchon's work but like the section like it's like 15 to 18 maybe yeah the section when she she drives into LA for the first time Mm -hmm. the way he describes Southern California oh I love that it's fucking tremendous it's a tremendous two and a half pages or three pages yeah I marked that down as well yeah and it felt like I could see in my mind's eye Foster Wallace reading this whenever, you know, he read it in his early 20s probably sure, and just yeah. being like, oh, yeah, if I could only <laughs> one day, yeah. you know, and because uh, Wallace, I think, is able to tease out the essence of a place and the essence of a moment
1: in a way that. Um, well, that's what this book is about, isn't it? Right? right. To me, I mean, this book was about not just a place, but getting the essence of kind of the decade in which it was written. Exactly. And this time in which the, un- the counterculture was actually of I mean and none of us were alive for this, but just by osmosis, hopefully mm-hmm. kind of understanding that era secondhand. Well how's this this I'm gonna jump in when you're done yeah, about okay. osmosis. Uh, yeah. Um these notions of these roiling um undercurrents of counterculture that I I feel like we don't I, I feel like that isn't a part of our of our lives today. Things like social media and the internet kind of forcibly expose um things to mass audiences and in really in global ways. Um, it, mm-hmm. uh, we had there, there, there are, uh, yeah, ca- seems- there's counterculture on the internet, but it's so visible and so easy. Counterculture seems like it just bubbles up and pops really rapidly. Right. At exactly. This point. And yeah. and yeah. rapidly, rapidly gets absorbed into mainstream culture. Yeah. Right. Really. And it also commodified super fast. Exactly. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas the, it, it reminded me of, um, or it, it seems like kind of this, the stage you got after the kind of post, post-war, um, surplus of kind of cults and new age religious movements and things and then by the time you get to the 60s and 70s everything's a more cynical mm-hmm. version of that and there's the, oh, sorry. i just
0: want to see when the book is written actually i can't oh remember. sure go ahead yeah um keep going
1: yeah. and i loved the notion that edipa felt like there was constantly this hidden version of the culture and of the country that she was always quite on the just on the cusp of understanding, right? But but never quite did, right? I mean, aside from exactly, yeah. and the I mean the the sort of turn in Texas postal thing or postal thing that um, Tristero is the literalization of that. But even that, well, she got, you get the sense is like just the.
2: She also got like all the details of it, but what it actually meant to anyone within or without that culture was never really understood by her, I don't think. Like, she could recite the history of it, it seems better than anyone, but also what any of that, what its relevance culturally or what it actually meant to a single human being was never, never got touched on by her, I don't think. Yeah, I felt like she was
0: bouncing between these really like like concrete countercultures, like lots of different little ones. Even when she like goes and meets the hippies on Hippie Hill in Golden Gate Park, Mm -hmm. and it's, they're just sort of like, what are you doing here? You know like this <laughs> <laughs> kind of like they just are so disconnected from her. Yeah. And they they you know she talks to them briefly and they don't really want to interact with her and it's it's so the book is really lonely. Like I was just like so lo- like yeah, you know it is I mean? very lonely. It's so the, lonely.
1: <laughs> when she, when the passage you're talking about, the passage you brought up when she's going into approaching her... Southern California, oh, yeah. was that the same passage where she, where the the um, circuit board metaphor was first was in, was invoked? I think so. I, I
0: remember needles in the vein. Yeah, the
1: needle in the vein. That was the the pow- really most powerful yeah. one. But um, um it's, the thing that that yeah. that whole passage reminded me of. She, I think she says she talks at one point. Let me see if I can find it <laughs> about the youth, just sort of the youth culture of Southern California. And I spent a lot of my childhood in San Diego, which is part of just that big sprawling Southern California, um, expanse. And there, there is that there is this strong feeling of perpetual youth that is, that does just inspire loneliness. If you aren't directly a part of it. Um, even if you are young, it's a, it's a weird thing because it, it tell it means you know that in some x number of years you're going to be forcibly kept out of it just by virtue of not not being young anymore. And there's something about that culture that even though it celebrates um, kind of togetherness and, and sociability and so on, it's it's actually very alienating. Um, and the the point at which she was approaching that whole complex. Uh, really, really brought that out to me, and and it kind of was an interesting contrast to the weird his like super historical nature of the actual plot she may or may not have mm-hmm. uncovered, which keeps going back further and further. You know, I mean, that, I struggled with that stuff. I found it fascinating. The moment- I did, but I didn't give a shit because <laughs> yeah. it all felt like
0: it felt like it had to be constructed. The way it was, and teased all the way to the end, and made sure. real by Pynchon for it to matter to Edipa and to you because mm-hmm. you're so connected with her. But man, it yeah. was this when like the one when they're actually when she actually recounts every act of the play that she goes and sees, which is the mm-hmm. sort of
1: the the, the spark of the. You mean entire. the moment where the play? It's you first hear about the play. She or goes
0: like, to the yeah. They she talks about the play and the play.
2: God. Well
1: you it's not her actually it's not her play, talking about it. It's actually just the play the, being described. It's
2: just the narrator right. himself. Right, or yeah, yeah, whoever yeah, the play, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the yes. narrator itself
1: describes the exactly. uh, describes that's the right. play out. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. In ridiculous that, that was, detail. That well that was the moment at which really the that it's funny that you say that because that's the moment for me at which the um the whole postal uh renegade postal service thing actually came into focus. Yeah, well after, after been... that part I was fine, but it was actually literally in the thick of it I was just well, Okay,
2: so oh, I loved the... I loved reading the that run through of that play. I did too. I Got thought to it was great. It. And the,
1: the <laughs> moment where the moment that re um, it felt like I was <laughs> it felt like I was at the uh, the optometrist and they slide the they finally slide the perfect lenses over your eyes and and it's like, oh my god, you've been looking at all these trying trying to focus on the you know, letters on the wall for Ten minutes straight, and then suddenly it makes sense. And the the moment for me uh, was was on page fifty in the um, Harper paperback edition, where it says, "In the first scene, as Niccolo confides his history to a friend, Domenico, Niccolo's at this point grown up, hanging around the court of his father's murdered uh, Duke Angelo, and masquerading as a special courier of the Turn and Taxes family, who at the time held a postal monopoly throughout most of the Holy Roman Empire." And when I read that line, yes, it, my <laughs> brain, yeah, I had this just <laughs> moment of it. Sort of panic in my brain, um, as as I where you realized, just rolled
2: back through the preceding fifty pages of like exactly just, yeah. yeah,
1: and I tried to f- I and, and at that point I was I was just where, frantically like, where trying have I heard these names or imagery the yeah. the significance of that yeah because she had had all these at this point all these discussions and started to uncover the WSTE right. stuff the little symbol it shown up a couple yeah, times and stuff the muted yeah. posthorn yeah and and that was the point at which I started actively questioning what this was supposed to mean as opposed to just you know, until that point, instead of I just guess, absorbing oh, what blindly. Yeah, yeah. You're just kind of absorbing it mm-hmm. um, and left here on devices. Um, and then even, even much later on, there's a reference to, let me see if I have this marked down. Um, oh, it occurs to me when I said 15 through 18,
0: that's probably mm-hmm. not the pages. I...
1: It, they were actually, the. it was actually the same. In that, that was book. okay. Yeah. Um, on page 130, uh, it, they connect, they, not directly, but kind of by implication, um, connected even further back to the Herodotus postal motto, which is at the the New York City post office, that neither snow nor rain nor, heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. That's not in the book, but it's kind of referenced in, uh, in 130 when they're talking about... Um, who is it, what was a blob was a diocletian blob <laughs> who is he it, was a blob you <laughs> know when he was when he was uh so costed by sentence. the tristero um like black suited right. uh figures and and they tell him messer you have w- witnessed the wrath of tristero no we are not without mercy tell your king and parliament what we have done tell them we will prevail that neither tempest nor strife nor fierce beast nor the loneliness of the desert nor yet the Ill- illegitimate usurpers of our rightful estate can deter our couriers and i read that and that immediately tapped into right. a part of my brain that remembers the, the, that slogan? Yeah, that's the the sort of corruption. The, the other, the real version of that slogan that you always associate with the Pony Express, right? And the, which I then looked up on the internet and found out that it was coined by Herodotus in five hundred three, and I, and I mean it was just it was one more uh, five hundred three BC, and uh, and it was just one more of those things where I I almost felt like my brain was starting to get into this. Well, yeah, to Oedipus the, state where I'm connecting these things at this point, going back millennia. The
2: little places where the just absurd stuff in this book scratches for half a second at a real thing that you may or may not actually know from exactly, real life yeah. is
1: is was good at creating that same experience. And all all the Turn and Taxes stuff, um, that that's where that started for me because I was vaguely aware of that of that how that royal house or whatever, mm-hmm. and but I and so at that point you know when trystram comes up for all i know that was a real thing too <laughs> you know i mean it's right. it's it obviously isn't but um but the the interlacing of those things together was i thought was very effective for for me for for me the
2: reading of that play was also i really enjoyed it just because i thought that even though it was obviously just fictionalized and written to uh, <laughs> to lay out the sort of structure of that history it just did such a good job of feeling of capturing the combination of factual feeling and also just insane absurdity of period of plays of that like yeah. vintage that it was just really well, just, the, just admiring this the sort of craft of that bullshit type of story that is a like you know a, just a, a, right. a that, really old play it was really the, fun yeah, that
1: style of play where, where very frequently the plot was a very direct commentary on you know the the ruling class of the time or a particular dynasty or something you know you hear about that all being so frequently the case, um even things like um you know the divine comedy and so on right you know, I mean, it just it, the the very obvious double crosses
2: and missed messages being sent from one person to the other and people disguising oh, sure. themselves yeah. as each other, but just the way that that all was constructed but also was just patently ridiculous but is supposed to be kind of important was nice to appear inside of this book.
1: Yeah, but and the and the moment that was that really stuck with me from that play, which to me was in complete contrast to that because I agree with everything you just said, was the moment when the 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 kind of black-clothed assassins come in and the way that the staging was described in the text was so well, it, evocative and so it, out of It felt step like the play with,
2: itself got hijacked by that event.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it was it it, it was almost disturb it was almost disturbing to me for that reason and how much of a of a it felt like tonally something was just yeah being pe- was penetrating for me that
2: actually was... really made me want to see that play me too because <laughs> it do. felt like it was just like whatever the experience that you have watching a shakespearean performance and then suddenly just stanley kubrick steps in and just ruins exactly, your life yeah. at the last minute yeah i don't know anyway yeah you didn't like it though it was tough for me huh.
0: yeah it was like it felt like uh, it was an information dump that I either wanted to be way shorter or way longer.
2: Hmm.
0: It was just sort of, it just, it was, it was told in a pace and sort of glossing over these details, which is like character, character, character. Yeah. Cause it was, it was but one it was of just, the most just like, and then it would get deep and I don't know, I guess couldn't handle the, the, the way that it was paced to me and the it.
2: way that it was written it was so evocative to me of actually seeing a play of that style it was yeah, weird no, like it my brain just it, went, it definitely was but like, it it felt there was a layer of removal to it that just was really hard for me to
0: to care about i and i was also struggling at that moment in time to figure out to like like i guess it's it's something that i've always kind of struggled with when i read novels and it's kind of like why Like I hated reading pulpy Michael Crichton artist pulpy novels growing up, but I was obsessed with them because they were around the house. Like that sort of that trick of like, I just want to get back to the thing that I care about. You know, so I was reading this book. Mm -hmm, That's interesting. You know, and then I was just like, Oh, what what do I care? Like, what am I what what I don't care about this? but my my main character does like i don't know it's oh, that's That stuff, stuff I, is really I tend challenging to for
1: like progressions like that in novels yeah i it's mean that's that why it's like i look I at like. infinite
0: jest and i'm like oh, i'll we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, there one day
1: yeah, <laughs> and i know that,
2: gonna that bad thing bad is just going to yeah. be nothing but yeah, that. I, I, be a, I really actually do like that feeling of the book just going off and saying you're just going to have to trust me that whatever's happening right now is a thing that you just have to absorb completely untethered and either it's going to go nowhere and be sort of thematically interesting or it's going to come back around and I probably have to just get better. And I think I think you hit on a good word there, like trust of the author. Um,
0: and I'd had at that moment my relationship with Pynchon as a writer was tested, like, yeah, because sure. he had yeah. me when he's describing, like when God. I mean, we already talked about it, but when he says, you know, just it's something is like it's kind of his most his more overt, like it's really just wall, like like you know, it has the. He, he has some great moments Wallace. of
1: poignancy. I mean, there's another moment right. on page seventy-nine, um, where uh, uh, Edipa is uh, is talking with um, what's the guy's name, uh, Genghis Cohen. And uh, oh, right, of course, it is. <laughs> yeah. there's a restaurant <laughs> in L.A. called Genghis Cohen's, by the way, that I used to go there's to. There's a lot about. of references to this book in the world I've noticed, which is funny because yeah. that's exactly what this book is about. Um, but she says she asked him. Uh, she asked him then about the initials WST, but it was somehow too late. She'd lost him. He said no, but so abruptly, out of phase now with her own thoughts, that he could have even been lying. He poured her more dandelion wine. Oh, it's yeah, clearer yeah. now, he said, rather formal. A few months ago it got quite cloudy. You see in spring when the dandelions begin to bloom again, the wine goes through a fermentation, as if they remembered. No, thought Oedipus said, as if their home cemetery in some way still did exist, in a land where you could somehow walk and not need the east sand freeway, and bones still could rest in peace, nourishing ghosts of dandelions, no one to plow them up, as if the dead really do persist, even in a bottle of wine. And he has those moments yeah. occasionally of such we, pure facility with language, right. such evocative usage of prose that are – so They, whenever they occur, they really come just like a bolt. And I, I yeah, never yeah, yeah. expect it. And it every time it would kind of knock me flat. Mm-hmm. It's really astonishing because it's not the default mode of this novel.
0: No, no. But I got, in, I was ensorcelled by them early, oh, yeah. And oh, then okay. I, I went like, "So what? What are we doing here? <laughs> well, I want more of that. <laughs> what? What? Are we, <laughs> yeah. what, are we, what are we doing here? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. okay. <laughs> got the scene where she's taken hostage by Doctor Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> <That's
2: so smart. laughs> It's the best to talk about this book in person because when you read it, you when those names kind first of, show up, when that yeah. stuff, your your brain sort of goes, okay, that's what we're doing, and then you sort of just get into you the internalize flow of it. it yeah, but then yeah. you're like the scene where she's taken hostage by Doctor Hilarious. Like, I love that scene. It's yeah. like I, I, I think I thought about that scene because I
0: read it in the tone, at least for Edipa, because she's so tired at that stage in the same
1: tone in which I just said, like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> he was the like, the, yeah, the thing I she's loved about thing. Come on. That seems yeah, also, a, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the thing I loved about that scene and the, um, that comes in close proximity to her weird, surprising, bizarre estrangement from, from mucho. Um, yeah. you know, that happens soon afterwards. It gets to the point where she, it seems like she can't. And, and the, God, was that after the scene where she, she finds the, uh, the guy sort of in the upper floor of that, that building who's
0: oh the old man the old man yeah, oh yeah yeah this is I after mean, yeah, that was in had, San
1: Francisco right right she has these just I, I read this book several there's weeks there's an incredible passage there that I want to I want to oh, read okay. yeah and she keeps it seems like when she, when she first gets to San Narciso she has the relationship with um uh, uh Metzger, Metzger, uh, who, and that lasts longer than any of the other relationships the scene, that are depicted. Where they in have, the novel. where they, where that culminates, it was so good. The plotting of how they end
0: up like sleeping together, I love that. Oh, it was amazing. It was where they, so where good. Where they get
1: drunk and they incredible. get drunk and that like the
0: the, the yeah. hairspray falls off the thing, mm-hmm. and then he drags her to like, like really, lays on top it was of really her. Incredible, God, um, it was good. But it was
1: good. the as the book progresses, she has fewer and fewer of these of sort of moments of sustained human contact, and it seems like. Either she or the forces that are somehow surrounding her or that she has conjured herself through this investigation become incapable of sustaining any human contact for right. longer than any amount of time. And not only that but the the human encounters get denser and so she she has this sort of almost harrowing series of encounters with people including people she knows quite well like her husband and mm-hmm. her therapist that that just turn into these sort of insane gonzo – gonzo is the right word yeah yeah, yeah, that is totally Uh, uh, the correct word uh, social explosions um that i i found really fascinating i mean it almost felt like my my heart rate was increasing as the book reached the end um and i loved that after all i mean i think you mentioned the the final scene and, and you reflected on your your thoughts after it occurred but by the time she gets to the actual crying of Lot 49, after going through this this just unbelievable mm-hmm. series of encounters, she has internalized this calmness that's simultaneously kind of comforting but also really distressing. Yeah, yeah, incredibly distressing she kind of comes out the least. other
2: side of it at the very end but not... Yeah, almost Not
0: in, in, in a, way that, a nihilistic state. Like yeah, right. she's, she's exactly. reached, yeah. It feels that like, like the book ends on an, in- an
1: inhale. You know exactly. What I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But and I like that but, a lot. But it gives great. you a sense that there is there just there is no exhale. Right. Right? I mean, Pynchon could have written 50 more pages, and it's quite unlikely. that right. it's just your would point, have been yeah. right, yeah, right, right, yeah. right, I think
0: that is something that is just like really like personally impressive. The restraint to just end the novel right there where it's where it should be ended yeah at a hundred and whatever page, 180 something pages like mm-hmm. you know i don't know i think a lot of times pe- authors don't do that and i always think that's really in, in all media when you just say this
1: is where the story ends yeah but well like, that's something you know, that's i think a, the cohen brothers are really good at doing oh that. they're excellent they're amazing did you see the serious man yeah i mean that that movie essentially ends the same way this book right. ends yeah. yeah um that's that's something that i really appreciate I could see the cohen brothers making this movie actually oh i totally could i absolutely could yeah um that's something I really appreciate. Man, Jamie. now I want that bad, <laughs> really badly. I, saw, I looked over and <laughs> Jake just went.
2: I really kind of want like the nineties Colin brothers to Sorry. make it though. Like I don't know. Man, whatever. I don't know. <laughs>
1: I, I, could, I, could, yeah, I think the it. Ins- I think the insanity of this plot would need to be tempered by the 20, 2010s era, Cohen brothers. I think if they made this movie in the nineties, this was Hudsucker Proxy exactly, era. It would have just yeah, Hudsucker Proxy or something, and I think that would have been t- too much for the. Well,
2: subject like, matter. just yeah, Barton Fink and this book would easily be a, sure.
1: two things you could pair together. Sure, to- sure, yeah. Um, but I, I, I do love uh, what you said. This is where the story needs to end. That's something that I love about fiction that stands on its own and isn't part of. Some kind of mythos or series or trilogy or something, which are becoming almost – it feels like ubiquitous at this point in the way stories are told, which is a little bit of a Next bummer to me. Next month we'll because, be starting The
0: Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I have
1: to quickly put in a little insert here. When I was – I've been unpacking my apartment. Uh, I've just moved into a new apartment. And I, there was uh, this vodka box. That that I didn't recognize, and it had it said books on it, which I, I have a, I have dozens of boxes in my apartment right. that are labeled books. I remember but carrying this, this and written, you're like, "That's not mine." Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's written in a hand that is not my own, and uh, <laughs> and and I opened it up, and it was like two dozen Dragonlance books <laughs> and one really, really, really nice hardcover edition of the works of Edgar Allan Poe. So one, so, of, the, one of those one on my if, bookshelf. If, the you have, Goodwill, if you happen to have, if you happen to have no, oh. I don't know I don't know where the when the movers originally Oh no, they gave his, Yeah. Chris's yeah. moving
0: experience was a saga of like yeah. exchanged items and lost toys. Yeah. Mm, it was yeah. a disaster. Yeah. yeah, it's really bad. As yeah.
1: It it's was, good though that you got that Poe out of the deal. Yeah, it's a really nice. <laughs> it looks like the guy never opened it. Oh,
2: which I is played that wrong. Because, I didn't say it's good that you got the third Dragonlance book out of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> One of those went on the shelf. The yeah.
1: others were taken to the these, store. These books were heavily read. Anyway, that's beside the point. But um but I so speaking of books that are in contrast to what I'm describing. Um, I I do love the this the, the disassociation of story from world and the acknowledgement yeah. by an author that this world only exists in so far as it serves this story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the, the and it's something that I think is a big. You're not you're not ready for the crying of Lot fifty you're right exactly you know what's gonna be the
0: transmedia initiative of
1: (laughs) (laughs) the the crying series i mean it's a big reason i wanted to do this book podcast in the first place was just to be able to talk about yeah literature that that does just stand on its own and we
0: also just never it's like it's it's been really good because we're bringing it up now i think but it never crosses my mind the way it does when we talk about video games or even talk about like film series Mm -hmm. where it's you know we're talking about we end up getting into like the fran- a franchise conversation. Yeah, you end up and...
1: talking about all these sort of business concerns and right. things that we don't right. even think of as business concerns, but they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. It's nice to read a book like this where you get this re this just affirmation yeah. that yes, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, the, the, you the, know what though, in the, I, I brought up the I brought
0: up the. Um, you said Gonzo and Bonkers when bro-
2: <laughs> you said Gonzo, you said Gonzo, Bonkers, and Doctor Hilarious—all the same right. sentence. But when she
0: gets when she gets um, uh, taken hostage by Doctor Hilarious, there was a part of the book that I thought actually overstepped into. There was one sentence that I thought mm. was like, "Come on, man! Interesting. Like Do you because have it marked down? yeah, of course, okay. yeah." But there was. Cause she's been going through this. I mean, I use the word saga to describe you moving, but she's been going through this saga of her own and she's experienced all these things. And again, like I was just so taken by her relationship with men. Like I was just so taken by the power structure of every single conversation she was in and every sort of time she would, Mm -hmm. you know, be uh, told she was wrong or told a piece of information or and that guy, she goes to that guy's house in Berkeley and he's like, this is where we bone. Yeah, like, that was and a she's, strange... <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. like, I gotta go. and She runs out crying. But um, the cop comes through the door and she, uh, she's like, he has a gun and I'm in here. And the cop says, who are you, lady? She told him, how do you spell that first name? He also took down her address, age, phone number, next of kin, husband's occupation for the news media.
1: Like it was just that felt like an overstep to me of this sort of like. I actually agree. I felt the same thing. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was. It was like in reference to something that would have made sense when this book was written. I wasn't sure, right? That's or like, if it just felt like a commentary of what also was happening. Been kind of. Yeah. Have you seen the film Network? Yeah, yeah. So you know how much of Network is was conceived as really over the top satire, right? But at this point, I mean, it's an incredible film still. But at this point, you're but just like, oh yeah. Much of it seems. <laughs> Innocuous. Right. You know, right. It's like, oh, that's, what people, that's what people right. thought when that movie was made. Well, it's funny More than, that one right. came
0: out 10 years after this book.
1: Right. But yeah. what I, the, not real, longer, the only reason yeah. I bring it up yeah. by way of comparison is to say I, I had the same reaction when I read that line. It seemed It seemed a little much to me as well. And I wondered if part of it was just in the same spirit of over the top satire. As the rest of the book, but because right. we now know the way right. that new thing is. Did that spike so seem have... to
0: lift way higher off the page exactly. at the time? Right. Maybe it know, was more yeah. it wasn't as it, on yeah. the nose at the time. Right. It would more know, prescient or it, something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um or it's maybe that other observations of this book were more prescient and to us just seem more commonplace or, or yeah. less outrageous. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it might just be the lens but of the but I don't know on how one. true that is. But
2: uh, yeah. It was so It also that like that scene. It, that sentence bothered me, but I sort of smoothed over it as just saying once, yeah, well yeah. this this whole thing is supposed to just be like it it 's a really incredibly like, trope hostage sequence in some ways, but at the same time, like, it's it's this weird... I mean, <laughs> it's so weird. It's, it sets the gun down. He's like, hold on, I gotta look at my file cabinet. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> He picks it up and goes, I it's guess it's over. It's got all so these weirdly, weird, <laughs> like, pointed-focused moments, but then the entire scene also really feels like it's taking place, like, the audio almost, like, you have cotton in your ears or something, where it's just, like, it's this weird, like, reverberations of just shit happening all over the place. Like, her, like, just my perception of what was going on in that scene was just weird. So the guy saying that just felt like like my, my brain sort of just did a like wait what what you know like the same way that dr hilarious whatever what was this setting the what were you just saying he, he sets
0: setting, the gun down the gun and down. goes
2: over and this was like dicking around in his file right. cabinet so like kind of how it comes to a conclusion that, yeah. that that sort of thing feel felt to me like the cop suddenly interviewing her for the press it was just like everyone's motivations felt really pointed and then suddenly would just go <laughs> off into this weird place that was just deliberately disorienting and i sort of said okay well maybe that was what was going on there but it probably wasn't yeah like, that's got of like, like it
0: felt like it felt like pinching sort of being like peeking his head in a little bit but yeah i think sure. that's i think i don't know i think you hit it maybe on yeah there. i'm considering it based on what you just said chris and like sure
1: i i, I mull it better sure yeah i yeah. mean I, I went through both i you know i i was Struck by it as well in a in a not complimentary way initially as well. So who knows? Yeah. Um, the uh, one thing I wanted to to bring up was just the general portrayal of conspiracy in this novel because it re- it reminded me of two other books um, that I've read. I I find literary depiction sort of depictions of conspiracy in literary fiction really fascinating because it's an example of subject matter that is treated so. So much different than how it's treated in kind of airport novels. Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of things were like that, but but conspiracy, I think, is interesting because the very word conspiracy, I think, to someone who only or primarily reads um the pulp mass fiction. market pulp stuff, yeah. you're going to think of Dan Brown, or you're going to think of a crime thriller. You no, it does it gins very up this very intentional yeah. and yeah. very controlled and contrived and um uh, kind of all consuming in a really active way but in like an an aggressively nefarious exact energetic way right but it seems like almost universally i mean i shouldn't say universally in my within my own personal experience which is limited obviously it seems like conspiracy in literary fiction is almost always treated as a complete joke i mean even just the very concept Mm -hmm. of conspiracy is such a preposterous thing that it it can't be treated in, in in any serious way um and i find that I find that really interesting because I think that's different to how, for example um a a more traditional um murder mystery or something is treated right I mean in literary fiction, there's no assumption that murders don't actually exist because clearly they do. They might be treated with more seriousness and kind of less just lots of people are just going to get killed, and nothing really who cares. Um, but conspiracy seems to just be regarded as preposterous right from the start, which I think is interesting because, um, that's probably actually the case, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, um, the book, or at least getting to the
0: point where you can like where conspiracy is validated is like a long, a longer journey. It's such a long intense. You know what I mean? Sure. And it
1: tends to be less, it tends to be less expertly constructed by right. the people executing it, if there even are such people. I'm thinking of um, uh, Foucault's Pendulum by Umberto Eco, uh, which was his second novel, which I, I really love, and um, and mm-hmm. The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if you guys have read that. Mm-hmm. I read that for the first time a couple of years ago. Um, and this book felt like a midpoint between those two, where Foucault's Pendulum is about these characters who who sort of get wrapped up in a conspiracy that is somewhat of their own devising. And then the man who was Thursday by GK Chesterton is sort of about a conspiracy that is so all consuming that th- there is almost nothing that isn't part of the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this book felt to me like something in between a weird ambiguity that was in, in between those two um, where it's kind of both of those and also neither of them or maybe, um, you know, she's, she's, it's unclear how much of what Edipa is consumed by is of only exists because she's consumed by it, mm-hmm. and how or, or how much of it is just the underpinnings of, of the Western world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and specifically America. I really loved yeah. the notion that the thing she's uncovering dates back to this uh, ancient German right dynasty, but then it moved the at ma- some point. Yeah, yeah, but it moved at some point, and the manifestation of itself. Has, is so resolutely American, yeah, right. you know this. This and it's a very defining American moment. When it, she
0: she talks about
1: that entire movement, like that
0: whole operation coming yeah. to America, like yeah, in one fell swoop almost. So she yeah. talks about that,
1: which I think is cool. I thought that was really interesting, and I yeah. love the I love the way that Pynchon, um suggests it, it was tied into the, the Confederacy. You know, it puts right. this weird com- slant on. The Civil War and the Confederacy—that is—feels like it's a, it's completely perpendicular right. to the actual overriding um, concerns of the Civil War as we understand right. them now. Right. You know, like I mean? the
0: idea of like, if you were just anti-government for completely different reasons, you were
1: you were all you were With, yeah. without any any um, kind of generations deep right. nostalgia for the South. You're just an anarchist, but you, so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 I don't know. I found that, to, I found that really interesting. No, no, um, no same. And, uh, and then, oh, what was the other thing I was going to bring up about this? Um, I guess it was just the notion of the contrast between these things, exi- the, the way the whole, uh, Tristro and Turn and Taxus saga was described in Europe as this almost familial grudge to some degree. I mean, mm-hmm, the, the whole right. Tristro thing only got started in the first place because, you know, Baron von Tristra or whatever his name was, you know, felt he was entitled to this thing. And this, this ends up being this centuries long, um, dynastic battle in the United States. But now it's like it's hobos a marking class, on garbage yeah, cans and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's this, it's this weird, grimy, grubby class thing that you can, you can understand how this taps into something, especially in the sixties. You know, like if you think of New York about a generation ago. You know, just and <laughs> pre Giuliani New York, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or even, I mean, even earlier, even something like San Francisco now, where the 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 amount of segregation and class division in San Francisco is just off the charts at this point. Yeah, because the parts of the city that have been enriched by the tech boom are are just unstoppably on the rise. Yeah, but there are still vast swaths of the city where it's you might as well be in a different place entirely. But it still feels like
0: it exists in between the lines. It feels, I don't know, I'm, I'm having an existential crisis for San Francisco right now, yeah, but uh, <laughs> it feels like
1: it exists in between the
0: lines, it, like in the cracks and in the in the crevices where it can carve out in San Francisco, which it does, I think, in this book, too, which I think is a, what's cool about this this, this like, society or this, like, movement
1: like it exists, you know what I mean? Yeah, I well, I feel like right now, stuff like I mean, I, I feel like forces like gentrification just stamp this stuff out entirely Right. right? I mean, they just, they just erase it from the map, whereas I, I would imagine that at the time this book was written, um, the 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 weird suggestion of these that undercurrent was in all likelihood much, much more present and visible. Right. Just throughout. Yeah. You know, and it's just you have to look harder in a, in a city like San Francisco now mm-hmm. to even get the suggestion of those things. No, I completely agree. But that stuff was really powerful to me because it's something that I love about cities is the ability to to maintain these completely distinct social conventions almost on top of each other.
0: Well, when she talks about the old man at the top of the, like sitting in the alleyway in San Francisco, yeah, that actually was really impactful. Just personally, like at this exact moment, because of the things you're just describing right now, like, like the way San Francisco seems to just be changing I don't know. It makes me feel so old when I say that. And I'm 28. (laughs) But, um, like the way San Francisco, and there's, there is a, like a feeling going on right now Mm -hmm. of this sort of tech boom that is stomping out the city in in a new fashion. And it is sort of pushing what was there and what has been considered like historically institutionalized stuff sort of to the margins, just based on something as simple as cost of an apartment. But, um, she talks about that when she looks at the old man and just assumes he's going to die. Right. And she said like, Oh God, hold on. Let's, let's God. It just wrecked me. it's, it's, it's nice. that I'm able to sit here and talk about all these things. I liked about this book because you guys know I did not enjoy no. reading this book. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to skip uh, some sentences. Um, she remembered John Nefestus talking about his machine and massive destruction of information. Um, and then she sort of, seeing the mattress flare up around the sailor in his viking funeral she says but um she stared at it in wonder and i think this is all happening in her head um she stared at it in wonder it was as if she had just discovered the irre- irreversible process it astonished her to think that so much could be lost even the quantity of hallucination belonging just to the sailor that would that the world would bear no further trace of like the idea of his of his inner being being deleted, right. like of the, of the vanishing of things that you could never have, being removed from the world. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's t- a lot of talk about it. I mean, that's the theme that kind of goes through the book when she talks to that guy in the Festus about entropy and the loss of information and the loss of energy and things like this. And, uh, but when she personalizes it with that old guy who actually kind of gives her some shit, if I remember, mm-hmm. he's like, <laughs> um, who's not at all like, like some paragon of like, he's not like some sweet old man. Um, the guy with the tattoo in his hand. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when she internalizes the like the tra like I don't know I mean it doesn't really use the word tragic but um but she's definitely empathetic to him. Oh no, she goes on like she said, she knew because she had held him and uh, that he suffered DTS. Behind the initials oh, was a metaphor: oh, a delirium tremens, a trembling unfurrowing of the mind's plowshare. The saint whose water can light lamps. The clairvoyant whose lapse and recall is the breath of God the true paranoid for whom all is organized in spheres of joyful or threatening about the central pulse of himself the dreamer whose puns probe ancient fetid shafts and tunnels of truce all act in the same special relevance to the word or whatever it is the wor- or whatever it is the word is there buffering to protect us from the act of metaphor then was a thrust of at truth and the lie depending where you were inside safe or outside lost Thomas
1: Pynchon in your bottomless well of talent. Holy shit. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, I read my that, God. I read that passage probably three or four times. Yeah. Um, that and passage that, also includes um, some of his really uh, complex sentence structure yeah. that I wanted to bring up because we haven't talked about just the style, that mechanical style of the prose. What did you guys think of that?
0: I hated it at first, but I also thought it was sloppier in the first chunk of the book. Oh, interesting. And then he would have these sort of like – it felt like watching – um. So like it felt like watching an athlete who has these flashes of brilliance sure. to me, who just has like raw physical talent. Do you, list, do you think though having
2: gone through things. the entire book, if you went back and read, I mean, I maybe getting to the end of it made me want to go back and read the beginning because the style, you're more acclimated to it. was just, it was, just, it was very disorienting at like, the beginning where I was like, like, like it was, was wrong.
1: Yeah. I read it just going, what are you doing? But it was
0: like the comma and, usage and shit like that. Like, well,
1: I like, I actually like stuff like that because it forces me to parse the sentence more closely. Yeah, uh, as long I, as I couldn't feel
0: like... get, I couldn't get into a rhythm, and then sure. I'd read something like that that just had, I think it has really complex sentence structure, but it felt like it was in this sort of like, it was in this, it found its he this rhythm, it sure. all came into focus and things sure. like that, and the sure. book felt like like it oscillated. I felt like between some of that, focus, but I think that maybe that was intentional. I think I,
2: yeah, because some of it matches up with with what Oedipa's situation i mean like it's, it's i i wondered sometimes if it was a pacing tool or if it was supposed to actually make you feel yeah. different degrees of clarity as you were reading it
0: when she but. said when like early on where that he's he's uh he's just sort of laying out mucho and edipa and who they are and what they're up to and like what they're about and what they do i felt like some of that construction wasn't up to the same par as other aspects of the book sure but i mean who might have sit here and criticize thomas Pynchon?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're a book podcaster
0: there's a great article by the way in like uh, a new york magazine maybe or mm-hmm. the times from 1996 i think about how basically thomas Pynchon is like a like nobody actually knew where he lived for long a long periods of time oh, interesting and Katie he's just, style. yeah mm-hmm. yeah but he just like had a spot in new york <laughs> and uh it's really it's a really great read um Maybe I'll put it up so on. It'd be a weird the, spot to put it, but put it on the thumbs blog maybe. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, idlethumbs.net/blog. Mm-hmm. Blog, idle blog dot thumbs
2: Blog thumbs dot thumbs.net, Actually,
0: yeah. But uh, is there anything? Do you have another topic, Chris? Or you want to? Um, is there anything in the forums? One, the forums a, love this book, the, by the way. Yeah, you guys
1: and um, you guys were big into it. Greg Brown and Sarah Argadale both, I thought, had a lot of really interesting things to say about this book. If you want to go, go check that out. Um,
0: forms.etalthumbs.net slash forms
1: I think they might yeah, both work both those work forms.etalthumbs.net is what I generally use. Um oh, there was some there was a passage I'm trying to find here that I that I really like that connected to the conspiracy stuff that I was talking about before. Um oh here she's she's uh Edipa is um She's saying she she knew she ought to write to Kay Duchingato, publisher of the Unaccountable Paperback Courier's Tragedy, Tragedy, but she didn't and never asked Bortz if he had either. This is when she was – she keeps having all those moments where she will find a piece of information and then just at the important moment fail to do ask the, the right question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, she continues. She says, worst of all, she found herself going off into absurd lengths to avoid talking about Randolph Triplett. Whenever the girl showed up, the one who'd been at the wakes, Edipa found excuses to leave the gathering. She felt she was betraying and herself, but she left alone, anxious that her revelation not expand beyond a certain point, lest possibly it grow larger than she and assume her to itself. And I that that wrapped up a lot of this this book to me, um, connecting to, to the stuff I was talking about, Conspiracy, where it feels like a big part of depictions of conspiracy in literary fiction are Conspiracy itself might merely be a construction of us trying to understand the world in which we live mm-hmm. and over parsing it to the point where what it's like suffocation it just, it's exactly well in most pulp novels it's it's parsed and teased out by
0: like a hyper confident man or woman of well, it's action also, yeah that's pretty, and i love I mean, that you, she would leave these conversations like when when her and mucho pretty, pretty much split she leaves having not asked him about Potsmaster. Right. Partner. And she's, exactly. she's like, yeah. oh, I should have asked him, but she's emotionally, <laughs> you know, exactly. but she's yeah. like, almost, it's like, it's a mix of insecurity and want
1: and, and fear. I mean, and it's, fear. It's, yeah. yeah. And I, it reminds me of something that Jonathan friends in the author said in an interview on fresh air, where he said something like, I mean, this is a, you know, an arguable um, claim of course, but it, you know, whatever, I'm not going to argue for or against it specifically. He's listening to the effect of, it would be hard to be, an extremely intelligent person and not be a little depressed sometimes. And I think what he was getting at was this notion of trying to, I, I, I think he was, I can't remember if he was talking about David Foster Wallace or if it was um, connected to some other topic, but I think what he was sort of getting at is this notion of trying to make a deliberate point to understand the world around you and the mechanisms by which the world and society work can become such an overwhelming task that if you actively pursue it, if you try to sort out what's wrong with the world inside of your own head, it's not, you won't be a happy person. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really liked that little bit with that, but which was unlike a lot of the other passages that some of this book for me, this came right in the middle of a big paragraph and then just kept chugging along. And I, I found it, but it, it, it was, it's, it's so crystallized exactly what the whole, what the, how this whole book felt to me, just the act of reading it. Um, that it was also awesome right there for me.
0: If it matters, this conversation has made me enjoy the book even more. <laughs> I love yeah, this that, podcast. I'm gonna subscribe to it on iTunes. I'm gonna to tell, tell my you. friends
2: on Facebook.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm seriously gonna do both those things because it would really help out the podcast
1: review us on itunes perhaps you could review the po- this podcast sean
0: i you know how many itunes accounts i'm gonna create when i go home just <laughs> <laughs> just to subscribe and review us but uh anyway yeah thanks so much yeah, for listening guys for listening. and uh next month by blood by ellen Ullman. Mm-hmm. uh followed by? followed by cosmo comics by talo calvino
1: followed by wolf hall by Hilary Mantel.
2: Yeah. Hilary Mantel's
0: book is like s- almost 700 pages. So, yeah. if you want to
2: get moment. in on that, you might want to start it a month earlier. So, it's long yeah. and it's dense. So, yeah. it's it's going to be, how I
1: like them. It's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to take some effort.
0: <laughs> might just be Chris sitting in this room by himself talking, <laughs> this reading. a really, reading I think it's a
1: really incredible book. It's one of the best pieces of fiction I've read in the last several years. Wow. So, I would highly recommend it. Well,
2: we're not going to be friends if
0: I don't like it, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Anyway. I'll right. still be your friend, Sean, when... when that's because uh, you won't read the book. Whoa! <laughs> I might not read the book. I really want to, though.
1: You've been selling it, Chris, for a while. So you got to read so it. so glad we're reading it. But I hope... It is long, so I hope people actually read it. Anyway, yeah. thank you for listening. Yeah. Bye, See guys. See you guys next, next month.
0: Join us next time on the Idle Book Club, when we will be discussing By Blood by Ellen Ullman. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Alex Ashby.